0: Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. I have got a guest with me today that actually is coming back to talk about the second book in the series. And we talked about his first book. Now, it was about it was a little over a year ago, and we talked about his first book, which was called A Life Less Monogamous. And if you heard that interview, you are good. You know this is going to be an entertaining, very entertaining episode. So, so today I've got Cooper Beckett with me. Cooper, I'm I'm really I've been looking forward to having you back. I said, you know, I've got to
1: happy him. to be back.
0: I said, I got to have him back as soon as I heard you had a book come <laughs> back. I said, we got to do it. We got to talk about it.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you, you hit me even before I started the uh, the train of can I come on your show and you were you were asking. You know, it was it was lovely to <laughs> lovely to be wanted. I think.
0: Well, as soon as is, well, I'm on your mailing list. So as soon yeah. as you sent the first teaser, I'm like, oh, come on now. <laughs> so I started getting the teasers. I'm like, oh, see, Ryan and Jennifer, they got more adventures going on. I got, I got to do it. <laughs> you got it. You got to come talk about it. So, so they, they have. Well, and, and we we got to tell them a little bit about what's going on because cause Ryan and Jennifer are this 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 nice married couple and life got a little bit boring and they wanted to kind of spice things up their their sex life had gotten a little monotonous shall we say and so they they wanted to kind of figure out how to you know spice things up and get things more interesting. And they went to a holiday party, if I'm remembering right, and, yes. and they met Bruce and Paige. And their life kind of took a turn, shall we say. It <laughs> got a little bit more interesting, fascinating, and...
1: We'll just say if they hadn't met Bruce and Paige, you probably wouldn't have read the whole book because it would not have been exciting. <laughs> it would have been a much shorter book. Much it would have been much shorter, yes. <laughs> they would have gone home and and had a, a boring, a mainstream, suburban life.
0: Yeah, they wouldn't have had the same night they had no. if they hadn't met Bruce and no, no. Paige. I guarantee you that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So once once they met Bruce and Page, they they had a much more exciting night than they'd had in quite a long time, from from what I understand from reading the book. And then they started dabbling in the world of swinging at this point. And and what I love about the way it, you wrote this, and I I don't I don't rave about every author that that writes fiction because I'm very very picky about how people write now. I've I've always been kind of picky. But once mm-hmm. I started writing myself, I got much pickier. Yeah, it
1: changed I know what yeah. Goes
0: into yeah. You know, yeah. once once I started writing, I got a lot pickier because I'm like, okay, I know what goes into it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm much more nitpicky about books now. <laughs> so, But I love it because, I, I, I mean, you know, I knew a little bit about what was involved with swinging, but I had a lot of questions. And mm-hmm. I love that I felt like I was actually in their head as far as what they were thinking and feeling. And I felt like I was right there with them, That's you good. know? Yeah. And, and I, I, I could actually feel the emotions they were having, you know? It was, it was just so cool. I, I love when you feel like you're in the mind of the characters. And I yeah. really felt that as cool, you know? And, and I was, it was cool, too. I was telling you this before we started. I didn't feel like you were manufacturing drama just for the sake of making up drama. I mean, it felt realistic what they were going through, and you really put this couple through the ringer. I mean, you really, did. really did.
1: I felt <laughs> bad. And and like and I did this on the new book too. Like I have an outline. Uh, I I tend to write with with a generalized outline, so I know where my my story beats are going to come and where the characters will wind up. And okay. the the major conflict in the first book took place at a swinger party that they were not, they were unprepared for. Right. And so I wrote this very vague, like paragraph about this happens at the swinger party. And if you've read the book, you know, it's like five or six chapters long, this party. And Uh I, I kept getting worse. Like, it's like, Oh, well, you know, it was going to be this, but what if this instead and uh you know I have, I have readers who read as I 'm going, and I had more than one of them email me after a chapter and said, "I don't know that I can come back to liking this character after this chapter. It's like, well, okay, that's my challenge then is to by the end of the book, get you liking them again." Oh, because good point. People okay. make people in in relationships they make terrible mistakes and sure. The tendency is to, I, I think in fiction, the tendency is to have those terrible mistakes lead to divorce or to have them make, you know, like like swing and a miss mistakes. So it's like, oh, yeah, but you didn't really mean it, you know. So I, I feel like in real relationships, people often say things they can't take back. And then life is often getting beyond these things you can't take back and so when when i developed these characters and in the new book this happened all the time was like well what if they did this it's like wow that would be bad well, let's do that let's let's have them do that because then they, they that's that's growth when when you can learn to get beyond something horrendous that you've done and if we, the audience, get to see it from the point of view of the person who did this terrible thing, and and see how they are anguished and deal with it emotionally, I, I mean, it's 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 one of the most horrifying and enjoyable things to write at the same time.
0: <clears throat> well, like I said, I I didn't feel like you were just making up issues for him to deal with. I mean, there was right. a logical progression. Of what was happening, and the problems they were facing and and you know things would be going along smoothly, and then there would be jealousy crop up, which mm-hmm. I mean it was realistic, it was realistic where you put it, you know because yeah. there's there going to be times when you feel jealous about something, and even if you didn't think it would make you feel that some some little something would trigger it. And, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> you know, kind
1: of you know? Well, you're so also I'm... often going along and everything's great. And then just right. suddenly the bottom drops out. And right. then you have to recover from that. And that that's what's great about it is it's real, but it's also incredibly compelling to read. Right.
0: Well, and it's very compelling to write a lot of times, too. I mean, how right.
1: often do you write a story...
0: And you get so involved. There's been times when I'm writing a story and I get so involved and it's just flowing so great. And and I'll even send it off, you know, to to a publisher or editor or whatever. And it comes back and I'm reading the galleys. And I'll actually not remember writing it.
1: Oh, yeah. I I am the same way. You know?
0: And I read the galleys. I'm like, damn, that's good.
1: (laughs) Wait, Wait a minute. Who wrote that? I wrote that. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I'm like, man, I'm better than I thought I
1: was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've I've had people quoting me on on quoting from the books online uh, and it's just like, Wow, that sounds great. Wait a minute so so I that's in my book? Are you sure? <laughs> well, I mean, Can you point here. out where? Because I don't remember writing that, but damn <laughs> I, I love when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> It's I was like, what are, you, what are you doing
0: with my characters? Oh, I did that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You, have, you found,
1: I, I think it's when you find that river, you find the flow and then yeah. you're almost a passenger. Yeah. You know, I was talking about that. I, I did. So this is the beginning of my, my interview book tour here. And I just did one yesterday where I found that it, this book, more than the last one, even the characters showed me where they were going. You yeah. know, it, like I changed my outline so much from the beginning to the end because I, I was discovering the characters as I went and they were telling me what they would do in the situation. And I've, I've never, I'd never quite believed that that was a thing that happened. You know, you hear writers talk about that, but then when you find the vein and it's just like, Oh, well they wouldn't behave this way, which is how I planned it. They would behave this way. It's because they're not me. They're right. They're themselves, you know. And I was writing how I would handle it.
0: That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I know pe- people that don't write don't believe it, but I mean, you get to the point where it, it's like the. It, I mean, it, it's not really that the characters have taken over, but I mean, it it, 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 just, it feels- it's hard to explain that doesn't do it. Yeah, but it, yeah. it does. It feels like the characters have taken over the story, you know. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's awesome when that happens. I, I just, it is. It's it's part of the joy of writing fiction, you know. When you feel, yeah. when you actually feel your story come to life in your head, it's just it's awesome. Yeah. It is. And I really love cool. it. Yeah, <laughs> I miss it. I haven't I haven't written any of my fiction in ages, and I I miss it. But it's uh it's awesome, but you know <laughs> it's it's great. So the in in the first book, your your characters are involved in. Threesomes, foursomes swinging sex parties, and then they're overcome with all these all these various forms of jealousy that they didn't anticipate and yes. and the reader the reader gets to experience all of these things happening, and like i said it's it's not you don't you don't force any of it i mean it it feels very natural the way it's taking place the and the characters are very overwhelmed when they should be <laughs> very they
1: should be yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're flipping their lives upside down, literally in some cases, you know. So I <laughs> had had to throw that out there for you. Um, so so they've they've kind of they've kind of settled into this now, you know. They've they've decided that they're 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 going to go on with this, and, and like I said, they've they've made all kinds of decisions by the end of the book. Okay, so yes, now now we go on to book two. Okay, and and let me tell tell the listeners. I would highly recommend that you read the first book just so you understand the characters, you understand what got them to this point. But you don't have to read both books. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm very glad I read the first one before starting the second one, but you don't have to. They both stand on their own. And like I said, we, we've we told you a whole lot about the first one. So, <clears throat> now the second book is Approaching Swingularity. I love that. I love that you make up these words. I really do, Cooper. So.
1: <laughs> you know, actually, oh. Swingularity was... Uh the first title for the first book and oh, okay. uh, i i I kept waffling on it it's like is this is this obnoxiously clever and I think it is a little obnoxiously clever but um well, but after the first book and i and I went with a simple title, and then I thought, if this is really about people coming together and about Everybody changing and growing and learning and then okay, so I think I think this title is actually appropriate this time. I don't think I was ready to use approaching the swingularity in the first book.
0: Yeah, but you know, I, I like a life less monogamous though. I, I that that gets your point across for the first book though. Oh yeah. So, I mean there yeah, I, I yeah, I like that though. I mean it it got the point across. Mhm. And they're they're easing into it, so I, yeah, I, I no, I think you did good. I think you did good. Yeah, good.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Just
0: my just my opinion. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've I've helped a few people name books.
1: <laughs> so that's hard too. But, yeah, yeah that, like that's really I, hard. You
0: know, you know and, and if and if you don't name it the right thing, my goodness. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, I. I can give you some examples but I don't want to diss anybody's book cover on there. so <laughs> might, might might get myself in trouble with that.
1: Yes. Okay, absolutely.
0: so so the second book is Approaching Swingularity.
1: Swingularity. Tales
0: of, oh, okay, okay. Okay. Tales of Swing and Polyamory in Paradise. I mean, <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> so, okay, so so would you like to boil that down and, and tell us what the second book is about?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so as I was writing the first book, I was coming up with all these different aspects of non-monogamy, both swinging and polyamory that I wanted to address different types of relationships, different ways people deal with jealousy and, and with conflict and, and different ways people explore their sexuality and, a lot of it was things that I thought I could include in the first one, but really it felt like it would overwhelm a simple story, because a life less yeah. monogamous is very much a story about this couple beginning their exploration and what right. happens on that way, you know. And so in this one, I knew from the beginning that I wanted to tell more stories and I wanted to get more into. Bruce and Page, who are our perfect swingers from the first book. And I wanted to show that when you see someone and you idolize them, they appear to be perfect. But if you lived in their life, you would get to see what they actually are, you know, and flawed human beings like everybody else. Right. And so immediately I wanted to have a major, like, relationship-breaking conflict for them. Oh, okay. And I thought of the the offhand in the first book, we mentioned this character uh, named Emily, who was their gateway to non-monogamy, and how she was there for a while, and she was the most important person in their lives for a while, and then banished. But I didn't really get into it more than that. Right. And so when I started developing this one, it's like, well, if anything is going to upset the apple cart for these two, it would be a reemergence of someone from a very different time in their lives. So I, I set on that being the, the central conflict for Bruce and page. And I was very excited about that. And then I wanted to tell other stories. Cause like I take this annual trip to desire resort and spa in Mexico, which is one of my favorite places in the whole world. And I wanted to write about what it's like to be there because I tell everybody about how amazing it is and I, I don't feel like they can see it because it all feels like uh, hyperbole when I'm telling them about it because it's all like, oh, no, it's amazing. It's like nowhere else. So when I started thinking about, uh, for this one, I really wanted to tell a story about many characters and I felt like the the best way to do that would be to have a central event that connected them all. And for a little while, I debated having that central event be the play party from the first book, but then that didn't feel expansive enough. And so my my thought was, well, what if I take one week in a group takeover trip of this resort and I have these characters I can follow through the whole trip, it gives me enough extra Characters that I can have little stories come in and out of the people that surround them. And I can tell the story of the present, which is a high intensity resort, uh, you know, and and there's a lot of emotion and a lot of uh, excitement and enthusiasm and a lot of awesome sex at this resort. But then I can also take the opportunity to slide back into the backstories for each of these point of view characters that I'm uh, bringing on board. And once I found that, it was like, okay, well, I want want one of the characters to be the host of the trip. And I want him to be having uh, emotional conflict about, can I even do this because I'm having trouble in my day-to-day life? And... the the last couple was initially going to be another couple from the first book. But then I felt like odd having it be three heterosexual couples. And so instead I wanted to do something different. And there's this wonderful lesbian swinger couple called the sapphic swingers. They have their own podcast and they are just phenomenal people to talk to. And they're so enthusiastic and fun and exciting and the, these characters that I wrote are not based on them, but they were the inspiration to have this different point of view of a lesbian couple in swinging and on this resort.
0: Interesting. Now you know yeah. the Desire Resort that you're talking about. I actually, <clears throat> in the research I told you I was I've been doing over the weekend. Yes. I actually came across that that place, and I, it looks fascinating. Oh my gracious! Oh, it's wonderful. So, yeah. So I know exactly the place you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah. It it does look interesting. Well, and and even I, like I said, I haven't finished reading the book yet. But but oh my gracious, God, yeah, sex everywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that was the other thing I wanted to do. Is the first book, there is sex in it, but it's not. It's not a major component. And it is. I, I feel like as you as you get deeper into non-monogamy, the the sex can get far more interesting. So I wanted to uh, tell, because I could tell these stories with so many different people, I wanted to see the point of view of sex from all these different people, as well as deal with the fact that, you know, when when we uh, have sex, we're often not 100% there. There's often this little thing in our mind where we're thinking about, the day-to-day, we're thinking about our relationship, we're thinking about uh, the stress that we had at work, and so I wanted to also present that, and that's why when I opened the book, I opened with three sex scenes in a row, and each of them deals with things that are not happening at that moment almost as much as it deals with the things that are happening at that moment.
0: Right. Okay, that makes sense. Well, and in the first book too, though, you you were dealing with so much of the emotions and the thought processes they were going through. That I mean, that Mm -hmm. that was, but that was so important to the story. I mean, you you needed that. I mean, you needed the sex scenes too because Mm -hmm. you know you you did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I agree.
0: I mean. Yeah, well, and, and Malcolm—I mean—he just grabs your attention and doesn't let go. In, in the second <laughs> one, but uh, I'm just—I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. interesting. Okay, huh? Makes good sense. Well, and and at, at, you know, at, at resort, it actually—actually, actually I believe we call it Aphrodite's in in the book. Yes, I do. Yeah, and and there's—I believe like 110 or 111 couples there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Lots, lots of possibilities with all those lots people of there. <laughs> so, in and, and whatever anybody's conjuring up in your minds, I, I'm thinking Nolan Cooper, double or triple that, and you're you're probably you've got the number of possibilities.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, just a guess, just a guess. <laughs> so, I think so. Okay, so so but now we're not saying that the whole book is a sex scene, okay? No. So. If, in addition to that, so you you've got the the sexy vacations and the resorts. Mm-hmm. So, but you're also dealing with a lot of relationship drama going on, I would yeah. think with all of these people and the the different um the different options. I mean, you you you're still going to have some of the emotions in the Emotions, feelings, and, and all this drama going on too. Because I mean, even even when you have the established um, non-monogamy with all these people, you're still going to have little things flare up from time to time, aren't you?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's yeah. not a it's not a fix by any means, and uh, it's it's always interesting to see how people adapt to non-monogamy and how people lean into the curves, you know, because there there are curveballs everywhere. And I, I actually, um, I have had this conversation with a few friends recently is that non-monogamy is incredibly complicated and yes. it's it's like if you take general relationship problems and then multiply them exponentially because now you've added other people to it. So if you're having relationship problems with one other person, but then you add an additional person into it, it's, it's not a, it's not a plus one. It's a multiply situation. So the, the interpersonal dynamics are what, what is probably the most fascinating part of, of writing about non-monogamy to me because you really get to see how people deal with conflict, and how people can can swing with the swing with can swing with the curveballs that are being thrown at them, because it's often unexpected and often comes from um, from directions that you don't think it will. Right. And so, with with this, every couple had their central conflict. But then individuals had their own uh, emotional conflict, and sometimes external, sometimes internal. But then you start combining these people, and the the emotional conflict of one of the characters is then magnified by the fact that they see another character going off and doing this thing without them, so then you add jealousy on top of that. And then you add, this is my favorite one, the meta level of Now you're jealous, but you also feel like you shouldn't be jealous, so you feel like you're not doing good enough at the whole not being jealous part.
0: Right. I remember remember that coming up with Ryan once in the first book where he, he saw that Jennifer was having such a good time, and she was so happy, and then he was battling the I'm jealous, I'm not having a good time, she's so happy, am I being a bad spouse? Right. You know, and and so he he had all this thing going on, you know, and and it, it's very logical to be feeling that way. You're like, okay, I agree to do this, I want to do this, but I'm not happy in the moment. She is, you know. So you've got all of these conflicting things going on in your head, you know. There's going to be times when you know it's not it's even you know even if you're in the relationship and you're you're agreeing to be polyamorous, there's going to be times when you you may not be both be in the moment with another person and just thrilled to no end with what's going on. I mean, come right. on. <laughs> you know. It's it's just not going to be perfect for everybody every second of of the the day. It's just not. That I mean it'd be nice if it was, but
1: <laughs> Right. But it, it's it's about finding your equilibrium, finding your ability to roll with certain punches and um and it it does change us because you really start to realize how um, how to approach conflict then like the more you communicate right. the more you learn to communicate you know the more right. you uh, the more you you work with conflict, you develop better skills to work with conflict so the nice thing about doing non-monogamy is it it gives you new skills on how to deal with conflict but then it also uh lovingly throws you new types of conflict that you have no idea how to deal with so it's a cycle and it's a continual thing and and that's it's one of the reasons it's very exciting and it's also one of the reasons that it i feel being non-monogamous has made me a better person for reasons that have nothing to do with sex. Uh, it has made me a better person because it has taught me how to uh, deal with life better.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's uh, can you can you explain that better
1: sure, or, or yeah. more one depth? Well, because what is probably the most important thing uh, to be able to do is uh, the important things are conflict resolution, and that conflict can look like anything. It can be relationship, it can be business, it can be interpersonal, and also communicating your needs and wants, because you have to be able to do that in non-monogamy. You just have to. And so, if you learn to do that in these intensely vulnerable situations, like telling someone what you want when you've just met them is incredibly vulnerable. Sure. But once you've learned to do that, it, it gets easier and easier. It's never easy, but it gets easier. And then if you're in a work situation and you need to ask for what you want, we often don't ask at work that you know if we need a raise, we're afraid to ask because we're afraid of a no. So learning how to be less afraid of no's is also incredibly valuable, and that is something that non-monogamy teaches us.
0: Oh, I like that. Okay. Well, wouldn't it also be very critical to know and understand ourselves on a deeper level than a lot of people probably do?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I, I... can back that up completely. Like I didn't know myself enough before and it's because I didn't explore, you know, because when when you become an adult so often you stop exploring because you feel like this is who I am and this is who I will continue to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you stop exploring and you stop learning, then you're never going to experience the joy of discovering something new about yourself which is one of the greatest joys in life, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, I can't imagine not discovering new things about myself. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate that.
1: At, at that well, point, I, it, you may as well just you know, stop living because you're not living anymore. You're existing at that point. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying that non-monogamy is the key to living. I'm saying living may lead you to non-monogamy, but it also may lead you to a thousand other things. You may discover that what you really need in life is to travel, and you may then have to learn how to manipulate your life to make that a possibility. But you will never do that if you assume that who you are today is who you'll be tomorrow and the rest of your life. We all need to recognize who we can be and Leave that spot open for us to discover who we can be. Well, that's that's
0: like one of the things I've said because I've had people ask me why I cover so many things on the show, and, and I've had a couple of people specifically say, "There's so many things you've covered on the show lately that I'm just not interested in." Okay, sure. And I'm like, "Well, that's fine." I said, "But the thing is, what I do is." I cover a wide range of, of topics, and it may be things that are never going to apply to your life personally. That's fine. Right. But you're learning about new things and new people. And yeah. even if it never applies to your life in any way, you're being empowered with new information. Okay? It's incredibly so, valuable
1: at that point.
0: Yes. And like I said, that way, you know, you're, you're learning about new people, new cultures, new, new information, and that's empowering you. And then if you ever do run into people that live their lives in this sort of way, you're going to understand them on a deeper level, which is fantastic. Yes. So it just, it's all empowering. Whether you ever use the information personally or not in right. your own life, th- that doesn't matter. You're learning and new education
1: things about- for the, Yeah, education for the sake <laughs> of education is valuable. And I, I think yeah. that so many people don't think it is.
0: I, yeah, yeah. It amazes me that people don't want to learn about new things. I always want yeah. to learn about new things. I may never use it, but it's awesome to know stuff. <laughs> you
1: know? It is. It is. Yeah. And I mean, that's well, how I discovered all of this. It was, it was stepping way outside my comfort zone and trying yep. something that I never thought I'd do. And liking it. And that's how we learn. That's how we become better people. That's how we become more fulfilled in life. Because it is short, and we need to enjoy ourselves as best we can.
0: Well, that's like, something that drives me crazy is, is when people say, well, I don't like blah, 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 blah. And they know nothing about it. And I'm like, right. okay, wait a minute. You know, not, well that's like, like somebody was telling me one day, they said, well, I don't like blah, 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 TV show. Can't stand so-and-so, the host of it. And I'm like, well, what is it you don't like? Well, I don't know. I said, huh? <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't trust so-and-so in anything they're associated with. I said, well, what what is it that they did that you don't agree with? Oh, well, I don't know anything about them. I'm like, how can you not know the person or trust the person or, or just decide you don't like anything they're associated with if you know nothing about them? Well, some Yeah, they're making assumptions, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like, okay, it, at least put forth a little tiny bit of effort to know something about the person or whatever it is before you decide you don't like them. Because you know what? You may find out they've got something of value to share with you that's going to make a difference yeah. in your world. Yeah. It, it Absolutely. At least find out something before you write the person or the whatever it is off. Like, uh, wow.
1: <laughs> well, it's people don't want to do emotional labor and yeah. learning about yourself and uh, bec- because it can be scary and because you can learn things that you don't particularly like about yourself, but that's how you grow because you learn things you don't like and then you can, you can change those things. Uh, but it, it is a tremendous amount of emotional labor to be able to figure these things out. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, that's it. You know, there there may be things about yourself you don't like, but until you acknowledge them, you can't change them and make a difference. So,
1: absolutely.
0: But yeah, well, there's there's been a, there's been so many things that I've learned about since I've been doing the show, and so many things that I haven't actually thought about that have happened in my life over the last fifty years that have hit me, no joke, completely out of the blue because of a comment a guest made that have actually made a difference and let me deal with something that's been buried for decades, you know. Wow. and And if it hadn't been a random comment that person made that just helped something click in my mind, I could never have dealt with it and gotten rid of it and gotten past it, you know. Right. It it's amazing the things that have come up like that just, just from doing the interviews on the show. So I, I mean I, I tell people I said, no joke and I and I I just redid the about page on, on my, my website for the show the other day. I finally wrote mm-hmm. it. I've been wanting to do it since I first did the site. And I put on there and I said I said, No kidding, if if the listeners have gotten ten percent as much out of the show as I have, I'm thrilled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Because it just there, there's a wealth of information that's been shared in the last hundred and I think this is one hundred and thirty ninth show now, but yeah, knowledge is power, and I've, I'm sharing as much and as wide a range of topics as I can possibly come up with that I think relate to to people's lives and relationships and intimacy and sex. So, but and I'll tell you what I'm going to do too on the on this link to this show in the replay. Um, back about a month ago. Um, I did a show with Wendy Newman, Mm -hmm. and uh, she put together a really neat little list for me about the different types of uh, non-monogamous relationships. I'll link to that again for people so they can kind of take a look at the different sorts of relationships. She did um, what it's called in a description for me. Really cool reference for people to understand polyamory and open relationships and swinging and all that. Really neat little list. Nice. I'm going to use yes, immediately, I'm sure, <laughs>
1: <So>.
0: <laughs> but it was kind of kind of nice to have a cheat sheet for the listeners. <laughs> so.
1: Which is always necessary. I feel like, yeah,
0: yeah, it gets a little confusing to to get them all straight. I finally got them all straight that night. I, I finally we did that interview, and I finally have them all straight in my head from once. So, but so what? What were the challenges you faced with, with taking your because you, you kind of you had two main point of view characters in the first book with uh, mm-hmm. Ron and Jennifer. So uh, are you really using seven main characters to tell the story in the second book?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the The characters from the first book are definitely more weighted in terms of the amount of uh, page time they get. But I wanted to and, and I wanted to be able to really observe the same events too from different points of view. Because everybody reacts differently to things and that's 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 the cornerstone of empathy is seeing how other people feel about it. So when we're able to see that this thing that happened uh that you feel like is is incredibly negative that this other person did. But we see it from their point of view. We totally empathize and understand with how they did it, why they did it. Yeah, and I really liked right. that approach for, uh, to the story.
0: Well, and with this, too, you, you've got different sets of characters that are coming at the same sorts of situations with varying degrees of experience and backgrounds, which yeah. are definitely going to be different perspectives. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Very cool. Like I said, I I can only, I, I haven't finished the book, but I can only imagine what what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I would think that I, I know in the the first the first interview we talked about how people've got to give themselves permission to screw up when yes. when they first to to start into any kind of non monogamous situation, and you know, I, I think that kind of bears repeating. In, in the perspective as far as any kind of situation like this, no matter how much you talk ahead of time, and you've got to keep the lines of communication between the partners open because you're, you're going to have to work through it and you got to talk about it and you got to be honest with each other about it. But what are some tips as far as understanding, no matter how much you talk, you're going to screw up somehow. So how, yeah. how many people... How can people talk through that and and work with it so as not to screw it up to the point of like to 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 the point of no return? Maybe that's what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, I think uh, the the most important thing is is learning to forgive and and learning that most of the mistakes people make are not malicious. And so, oh, good point. if we treat them as malicious, then we're not going to be able to forgive and we're not going to be able to get past things. You know, like. I and, and I'm not perfect. My relationship is not perfect. I have conflicts with my partner, and one of the things we work on is trying to see where each other is coming from and the reason we did things. Um, so the, the other most important thing I I try to stick with is that you should default to treating everybody better than you want to be treated. And this is especially true with your partner because if, if you would like for your partner to be gung-ho and excited every time you go out on a date, but that's not your partner, you should absolutely be more gung-ho and more excited every time your partner goes out on a date. You should be willing to suggest that they have some time with their, with their playmates or their external relationships. You should go above and beyond and that's how you demonstrate how you would like to be treated. And it's not just about doing it for yourself. It's about doing it for your partner. If you want something in life, you damn sure should be willing to give that to your partner. Right. So, exactly. you know, it, it's not, it's not ever, uh, well, I'll do this so I can get this. It's, you'll do this because that's how people should be treated, And that's especially how this person you're spending your life with or these people you're spending your life with deserve to be treated. And I've found that the more you do that the more it comes around. So that's not the reason to do it, but it's a benefit of doing it.
0: I like that. I like that. Okay. Okay. That makes good sense. Yeah. Okay. So Are there there specific red flags to somebody that it's just not working and maybe their partner's not in it for the right reasons? Because I can see that that a partner could easily suggest it for the wrong reasons. And we all know people like that.
1: Right, right. Well, it's... you have to want to do this to do it successfully. Yeah. And it's very important. uh, Like if you really want this and really you, you can say you need this, you know, because it's possible you do need this. And if your partner pretends to want it, or if your partner uh, is going along because they want you to be happy, it will cause conflict down the road. And so the um, the best thing you can do is encourage conversation and communication early and often. If you're feeling something, you should feel comfortable saying it. You should feel comfortable saying, you know what, this type of thing is not working for me. What if we can do this? And if you're the one that's feeling that, if you're feeling like you're doing something that you don't really want to be doing, there are a few decisions you need to make if, because it is possible your partner is not going to be okay with turning back. Like I could not go back to monogamy. So if my partner is doing it specifically for me, that's not going to work. And it's right. legitimately just not going to be a, a sustainable thing. So the recognizing that your relationship may not be able to do this is one of the hardest things you can do. And it is definitely a possibility because not every relationship can sustain non-monogamy. Definitely
0: not. Great. Right.
1: I suppose it's it's uh, like it took me years to get to the mindset I have about uh, a concept called impermanence which is that relationships can offer value even if they are not forever which is an abstract and meaningless term in the first place or you know primary like if if i cannot have this primary relationship with this partner it may be better for us to become friends and deal with uh and have our relationship that way or for us to be not the primary partnership maybe maybe i'm this is someone i see on a weekly basis instead of living with or and we're trained in life to believe that's a failure of our relationship but it's it's not it just means that this didn't work for us. But that doesn't mean there aren't all sorts of other things that would work for us. And I feel like too often we torpedo something that could work on a different level because of hurt feelings that it doesn't work on the level we planned for it to do.
0: Exactly. Well, that's, that's one of the things that, that I like when, when Wendy and I were talking about the, the different alternatives and, and we were talking about, you know, the, the different, especially with polyamory, the, the different alternatives for how the, the various partners decide to um, set up their relationships, you know, because you, you don't have a one size fit, fit all by, by any stretch of the imagination, right. you know. Anybody I've talked to, all the relationships, I mean, they, they have their own personality, every single one of them. And it's what fits for the that couple, you know. So, you You don't have this. You have to live in the same house. You have to have, you know, every single solitary thing the same way as every Joe Blow that lives on the same street, kind of thing. You know, it's what works for those two people. That's brilliant, you know, because (laughs) it, it just, you know, there's so many things that society expects that just obviously don't work for more than about half the population. And I guarantee you a whole lot of those half it doesn't work for them a lot of the time either you know if if they were being hundred percent honest about it, right you know
1: but th- right. that's that's the, that's a cornerstone of it. You have to be willing to be honest with yourself,
0: well, yeah, true, but um <laughs> it's interesting it just it's interesting
1: yeah. well, I think right. that's why I like this uh, I like writing about these because it is a unique perspective because it, it approaches relationships differently by necessity. And Mm -hmm. once you're approaching relationships differently than you were before, it requires different things that you should have had before, but we don't because we can coast in monogamy and not everybody's coasting obviously, but we can in a way we can't in non-monogamy.
0: True. True. Hmm. That, that is an interesting perspective. I like that. Yeah. Okay, why... Well, okay, just, just for, for the audience. Why do you yes. say that you can't just coast in non-monogamy?
1: Uh, well, okay, I'll use uh, a great example that I got from Dan Savage about gay relationships versus straight relationships. Uh, okay. Straight relationships, you assume that when you decide to have sex... There will probably be some oral. There will be penetration. It'll be the guy penetrating the woman, and then that's that's what sex looks like. In uh, especially the gay male relationship, there's a whole host of conversations you have to have. Who is who is the top? Who is the bottom? Who does penetrating? Who does not? What's off limits and what isn't? And it's because there isn't an easily defined style of what a gay sexual encounter looks like, it requires conversation. So in non-monogamy, a monogamous relationship is a couple dates for a while, then they get engaged, then they get married, then they probably have children, and that's what life looks like. Once you go outside that box and add a third, then there's all these conversations you have to have. Because right. okay, well, what does our public relationship look like? Are uh, is is one of our members in this relationship closeted and not? Can we bring you home to meet our parents? Do we want to do that? And these are all things that are wrote in a monogamous relationship. At some point, you will meet your partner's parents. At some point, you will go to Christmas dinner. You know. But that's not the case in non-monogamy, especially in swinging, because you're, you're developing a very different style of relationship with people. And because you're not in an expected style, everyone asks the question, what would you like this relationship, this interaction to look like? And if people in monogamy did that, I think they'd be a lot happier, because it doesn't yeah. assume things. Instead, it, it it puts everybody on the same foundation of we get to determine together what this looks like. Right. And I think that's right. so important.
0: That was, that was one of those things Wendy and I were talking about, about how, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are just assumed in relationships. And mm-hmm. when you're in an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship, you have to lay it out. You got to be clear about things. You know, yeah. you, you don't necessarily want a whole lot of rules. But that kind of defeats <laughs> right. the whole purpose, you know. Because right. I mean, if you're going to do that, just be monogamous and be done with it. But you know, you, there are certain things that you have to kind of lay out and make clear that you both kind of understand where you where you stand on things. And we we were joking too about how you know. Well, we we were joking because she literally came out on my show to people that she is an open relationship. Oh. But we were joking wow. about how you know, a lot of people actually don't know that they have friends that are polyamorous, and they may never know.
1: You know. They may not.
0: And that's fine. They don't need to know. <laughs> you know. Right. If they need to know, they'll be told. If not, they won't. You know. It's, it's interesting. It's just it's, it's it's interesting that there are so many options. Uh, well, it, it, every person is different. What each person needs just is not cookie cutter. I'm sorry. It's just not. So. Right. But that's why I like to share all this information and empower people so they can use what works in their life. So, And so that if they do meet people or do find out the people they know are living their life in a different way, they'll have information to better understand instead of making judgments and not know what they're talking about. Absolutely. They shouldn't be making judgments anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no. How about come to conclusions without knowing what they're talking about? How about that? <laughs> that sounds better. I like that. Too, too many people making judgments without having a clue. So.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Interesting. So is is Swingularity out now? Or is it? I actually, I, I was thinking it was, but it's not out yet, is it?
1: It comes out on April 18th of 2017.
0: Okay. All right. So it is almost out, but not
1: quite. Very yet. soon. Very soon. I'm I'm putting finishing touches on it as we speak. I'm gonna go right back to it when we're done talking here.
0: You know, been there, done that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: You know, <laughs> like, yeah. galleries
0: gal- are just that part where you just you're so close. You just you know you're know. so close. <laughs> so
1: it, it feels like, like, uh, and and it's like I I. I have never obviously been pregnant, but it feels like the way people describe that to me. Like you're you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and just like, okay, I just want to be done with this and have it out. Just done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have I don't have kids, but I, I have I have birthed thirty three books, so die on it.
1: So you know.
0: And you know a lot of those books came out in less than thir- in less than nine months, so Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty proud of those books.
1: <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> not comparing babies to books. I swear I, I, I do. Don't anybody send me hate mail. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Some people get, get upset about that. All right, like I said, not not saying anybody has to live their life any different way. We're just we're just educating people. And like I said, it's, if you've ever been curious, people, I'm not kidding. If you've ever been curious about swinging and open lifestyles. Honestly, I have I love Cooper's writing style, and and he will he will get you so you feel like you're right there with the people and understanding so much more about it. I, I right. joked because I, I did my review right before we got on here to do this, and and I was I put in a review you answered all of my questions to the characters, and the only one I had left was what happens next, and <laughs> <laughs> you're writing the book to tell me what happened next.
1: Yes. <laughs> Because I wanted you. to know too, you know, and so that that's a good way to do it.
0: Don't doesn't that happen? You get to the point, and you just you need you you need the characters to tell you what's going to happen next. You really do
1: exactly, yeah.
0: Awesome. So I I shouldn't say this while we're we're talking to the, the listeners, but I know that there are sneak previews for a couple of chapters. Can we share those with the listeners?
1: Well, all they have to do is sign up for my email list, and they can uh, read the first four chapters of the book. It's um, cooperaspeck dot com slash list, and they'll they'll get it sent to them, and can read it. And uh, they they can also read other things because they get erotica and um, how to swing articles and stuff like that on my mailing list. Hi, I'm on his mailing list. Y'all should sign up. <laughs>
0: Well, if, if seen, you enjoy you know. if if you enjoy that sort of thing and you you get advanced information and all kinds of fun stuff, of course you listen to my show, so you enjoy some of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you go to uh, w dot dot com slash swingularity, which is S-W-I-N-G-U-L-A-R-I-T-Y. You will see information about Cooper and about the book, and you will find the replay of today's show. And you will also find the link to the website to sign up for his mailing list. And you can get the previews. And I'm telling you all, you're going to love the first few chapters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear what people think, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you will enjoy it, folks. So Cooper, I'm glad you came back. And and will there, be a, will there be another book?
1: Well, to to continue my habit of announcing things before I've really thought them through, yes, there will be another book in this series. Right now, okay. it is called Polywogs, and is about <laughs> polyamory. Uh, it will be much shorter than approaching the singularity. I want to go back to a simpler story. After uh, the the massive one that was the middle book here.
0: Okay, you know I've I've heard polylogs but never in that context. So okay.
1: <laughs> well, you know it's like ba- baby frogs, baby polyamorous people. Yeah, I get it.
0: <laughs> okay, right. sorry. Never never in that context, but that's that's good. I'm okay. We'll work with that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Okay, listeners. I'll see you next time on. Ready for Love Radio.